This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yes, guys, welcome back to another episode of Teams Like Brighton. And guys, guys, let's calm down. Okay. All right. A lot has happened. Okay. We're all really annoyed, particularly in the last five minutes. But guys, we still are a point ahead of Spurs and Villa, regardless of what happens in our next game in hand against Man City. The important one is Southampton at home and then the big six-pointer against Villa. We all knew Richie. He was always going to come down to the match last game of the season at Villa Park, didn't we? I didn't. I hope they get it done sooner. I still hope they can. But yes, hopefully results go Brighton's way and Brighton beat um turn to this weekend and then it will be wrapped up before so it won't need to be have any of those nail-biting things but yes just let's let's talk let's get it over and done with let's talk about the Newcastle game so obviously uh 4-1 defeat at St James's Park a real thump back down to earth once again feel like I'm saying that a number of times after a crazy late win against Manchester United then absolutely Nuts, the five-one defeat to Everton, beat Arsenal three-nil at Everett's, lose four-one to Newcastle again. So hopefully that means we're due for uh, you know finishing off the sort of W maybe. Um, hopefully that means a hefty win over Southampton at the weekend. But yes, I think the problem for me with this one, I guess just in the lead up to the game, I was thinking, you know, I was chatting with some of the journalists going, "Oh, who's going to play? Who's not going to play? He is probably going to rotate, but to what extent?" And obviously, four changes were made. Um, Van Heck came in for only his second Premier League start of the season. Um, and there was no McAllister, um, no Ferguson, no Enciso, and uh, Welbeck, Undev, and Bonanotte came in. Um, and I think pretty early on, it was clear that Newcastle was so up for it. They were just uh, ferocious in, in the way that they started. I, I can't get if I'm wrong, Tom. I can't remember a first half where Brighton have been have been so on the back foot. They were just it was just sort of a snarling, rampaging performance from Newcastle with just too much pace and power. They just couldn't handle it. But also what didn't help is that Brighton were there were sort of shades of the Forest and and um, Everton game where they, they just was not a it was um they weren't up to their usual uh you know precise ways and there was sloppiness and lots of passes going astray and even you know um, coolness personified Jason Steele was was making some uncharacteristic sort of um, errant passing so it just yeah I it looked it felt ominous early on unfortunately Undav. Uh, who had a bit of a mixed performance. He headed into his own net from a, a really good Trippier uh, set piece. He's really, really lethal with those with crosses and corners. Um, so fair play to him. Um, 
Obviously, then former Brighton player Dan Burns scores just before halftime, and, and I thought that that was it. I thought that's that's game over. If Brighton could hold on, that'd be fine. Again, Undav gives away a needless uh, foul, um, and then Trippier whips one in, and they score. Much better in the second half, um, and then lovely through ball from from Gilmore to Undav, who does look like he's really coming into some form, which is great to see. You know. Um, Better late than never. Four goals in his last five games. So, yeah, really happy for him. But, yes. And then it looked like Brighton were, get, were definitely getting better and Newcastle were nervous, the fans were. But I didn't really feel that Brighton created any big clear-cut chances um, that really put them under pressure. It was sort of a lot of the ball, but not doing that much with it. And then two you know, late sucker punches... Uh, Brighton sort of caught napping, went to sleep. Van Heck tried to beat the offside trap with Wilson, failed to do so. Wilson tucked it home. Um, and then Wilson gets away again, sets up Bruno to make it 4-1. I think the final score was harsh. Um, but yeah, I, I think main takeaways are Newcastle are a very good team. Brighton are just quite weary when they're um, when they don't have a break. Injuries are not helping, um, but it's not doom and gloom. Um, Brighton still have it in their hands for Southampton. What about you, Tom? Yeah, I, I think you've, I think you nailed it. I think the key thing is here is that Newcastle were so up for this match. I think that I think everything went their way. Really, when you look at it, that their, their form was better. They've got better players in terms of depth and availability we're, we're, we're ridden with injuries at the moment in really crucial areas of the pitch the fans were just up for it from from the word go and like any pass any tackle that they made they just roared so it, it in that sense the fans role mirrored what happened over at forest once the fans are there it's going to be we have to do something special to keep them quiet and with, like you say, like the, there was this energy about them that was kind of similar to the Everton match rather than the Arsenal match. And it would have been nice for, to actually really push on from this, but it just seemed like it, it was a performance of like damage control, really, where they're making the gamble. And hopefully we're going to see a much bigger and better performance against Southampton. Because that's, I think a lot of people have emphasised how important that game is. That's our penultimate home match of the season then we face City before a trip a few days later to to Villa Park um, Van Heck Van Heck definitely seemed like as if he had to be thrown right in the deep end there Look, Newcastle Champions League quality we can see it right there and they, they deserve to be where they are right now and that match probably more or less sorted their chances for Champions League football next season so you know, fair play to them. They, they want, we wanted European football, but they wanted Champions League football more. So it'd be, um, it will be interesting how they get on next season. But really, at the end of the day, in, the, in those 90 minutes, you could tell from the track, from the subs as well, what we put on were our first team players. Apart from um, Ufia, there was like, everyone else was a first teamer, but no one else in there offered that serious depth that can actually change the game. And I love Dundav. I, I'm so happy the fact that he's getting his goal scoring touch in 
and he seems to be really stuck into the side. It's just a bit frustrating for him. And he actually said after the match that he felt responsible for the result. He's he's apologised to the fans, to the players. Um, personally, I don't see fault in him directly. Um, I think it was a very much noble team performance. It wasn't like as if it was yeah. just, you know, what he did was the deciding factor. It wasn't. You know, his own goal was harsh. He, he had he was in a position where he had to go in there. Personally, I blame the fact that there wasn't um, anyone at the back post because if you if you've got a Kieran Trippier coming in with an with a flat in swinging corner, why on earth isn't there anyone on the posts? For me, that's defending one hundred and one. So that's I, I don't blame Undev for jumping up and challenging for the ball. That's fine. The foul was silly, yes, but you know he, I think he made amends for that with a really well taken goal. That there, there, there's plenty of things there where I can't say Undav's at fault, Van Heck's at fault. That there, there, there seems to be a little bit of a meltdown on Twitter, and I like I said at the start, let's all calm down because really a meltdown on Twitter. Who would have thought it? He would have thought. He would have thought it, ladies and gentlemen. That we're we're in it. We're in the position where we are, and we we've just got to try and you know, support the lads. I think if we can get this win at Southampton and get a result still up against Villa, regardless of what happens against City, then happy days. Personally, I would love to think that, you know, City drop points against us. And if they do, then I think that's really us quids in if we beat Southampton. But the other thing is as well was like, you know, they've just been relegated now and they're just going to do a bit of window shopping to try and get themselves either new contracts to state their claim to stay in the side or to just, you know, find another club. So we're, it's going to be interesting to see how that team lines up and how they play at the weekend. Personally, I hope they just continue how they have been throughout, throughout most of the season, which has just been good awful. Um, but we'll wait and see because, uh, <laughs> you know, it's been, it's been an interesting few weeks as a Brighton fan. For sure. Um, one thing that I just want to add, and I really, I'm going to... Hopefully, I'm not jinxing anything, but I've just had a look at the fixtures for this weekend. Oh, God. So, Tottenham versus Brentford. Mm. That could go either way. Yep. Obviously, um, Tony's not without Ivan Tony because of the the betting scandal. Um, He's banned for eight months, I think. So... So, can I just also point out there that his goal was was the big difference from us getting a point at with Brentford at home instead of three. So his goal made sure that we did, we, we dropped two points there. And this was during the investigation. Why wasn't he primarily suspended at this point when quite clearly it, it shows that he's been overwhelmingly against it. And it shows no signs of appealing it either. So why, why wasn't he primarily provisionally suspended for these matches? Which really frustrates me. It, 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 it to me, that is really annoying because that kind of thing, I can understand why fans get annoyed. Yes, we have plenty of opportunities on the pitch to kind of c- cancel and nullify that out. It's just it, it's just something a, a silly, and you you do get people in those tin hats who have a very decent case at the moment to kind of like say, "Oh, look, Spurs are going to benefit from this, but not us." Um, but yeah, that's sorry, that's my little side. No, no, that it's, it's fair. I mean, yeah. Um... Brighton can have pre- plenty of gripes this season in terms of VR decisions, goals going against them, decisions, you know, Tottenham loss, Brent- Brentford thing, or whatever. Yes, um, completely agree. Hopefully, as I said, that won't, in, when the 
season is said and done, hopefully Brighton will be in sixth and we can go, ha-ha, wasn't that fun? Oh, God, how we were scared. But, yes, so just in terms of the fixtures, so obviously Tottenham-Brentford, you maybe fancy Tottenham to win that, but they've not been that convincing. Brentford are a very, very good team. They could um, they could cause an upset, or maybe not even an upset, they could just win there. The one that I think is the key one, though, Liverpool host Aston Villa. That is big, because if Liverpool win, and Brighton win, then it's, that's it. Brighton have Europe. That's that's it. Unless Man U FA Cup, I'm not sure. But yeah, the point no. is, is that no, that's no? fine. Cool, okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> I think I wrote a piece on that a while ago. I was like, no, that's good. Yes. So that's it. So that's all eyes on this weekend. But yes, just in terms of going back to the Newcastle game, um, I'm not going to obviously dig players out. Uh, I just thought personally some. Um, players weren't as, as good as they usually are. I thought Caicedo struggled against Isaac um, on the uh, as a right back after doing very well against um, you know Rashford, Martinelli, and Trossard in recent weeks. Uh, he I don't think he got much better in midfield. He was pretty sloppy. Um, but you know these guys are having to play. You know Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. They really are. You know mounting up um, and McAllister's. I thought he was pretty much of the same build as Gross is in, just keeps on chugging away. But even he was rested. Um, so that shows that, you know, the the fixtures really are sort of taking a toll. Um, yeah, for me, Undav, it's really good to see that he is showing his clinical edge. Um, you know, he was lethal for Union SG last season. I think it's 27 goals in all competitions. Um but yeah, it looks like he really is um, finding that sort of yeah, finding his feet and and really you know putting chances away now, which is great to see. Um, I thought his all round game still needs work, just in terms of holding the ball up, laying it off to each other, uh, others um, in some of his decision making. But definite, definite improvement for me. Buonanotte still looks a bit raw. I don't know. I don't think playing on the right is really working. I don't, other than against Manchester United, where I thought he was decent, I think he's, um, it's it's been difficult for him. But I don't blame him at all because he's literally, he's 18. He's come to arguably the toughest league in the world. He's thrown in at the deep end. Um, I, I don't think he's playing his, his best position. I think he can play on the left to right, but his, his best, I think, is sort of an attacking midfielder. And this is such a high-pressure, high-octane, you know, um, scenario. I, I don't really blame him. Um I wonder next season what the plan will be for him. Maybe a loan could be good somewhere in Europe or maybe even in the championship. I'm not even sure. But um, And then finally, uh, I thought Van Heck was a bit mixed in the sense that yeah. he made some really good crunching tackles, um, won some 50-50s, was able to quite often sort of find these nice balls through the lines but he was turned over a couple of times caught in possession he seemed like he was bullied a little bit aerially which is no shame when you've got six foot seven Dan Burns six foot five Sven Botman um but I just feel that he, he there's sort of levels 
And I don't think he's at the level of a Dunk, a Webster, a Colwell. I think he's a step down. I don't, he's, I don't think he's enough of a ball-playing centre-back to really shine in Deserby's system. Um, there's just times when, even though he sort of has the ball, um, he his pass maybe isn't accurate enough, so then it puts someone else in, under yeah. pressure and it has a knock-on effect. Um, and I, I do think that he could be a Premier League defender. I just don't think he is quite at the level for a team... Um, I'm, I'm going to put this in a different way to, I'm going to say, for a team, a fantastic team who are on the cusp potentially of Europe, a team that many teams want to be like Brighton, but aren't like Brighton. See what I did there. Um, so I feel that he could be in a side potentially top championship, maybe lower end Premier League, maybe like a promoted team, he could be a decent side. But I just feel for the way that Brighton want to play and the options Brighton have, he's not quite good enough for that. But if Cole doesn't stay, maybe he might be a good option to keep. He is out of contract this summer. There might be an option in his, in his contract to extend it for the year. Um, he has previously said that, you know, he will be sort of glued to his phone this summer. He doesn't want another loan. Um, so he might be off potentially if he doesn't get that regular football. Um, yeah, what's your, what's your take on on those points? I guess. Yeah, I, I think the main one for me is is the Van Heck one that kind of stands out. You know, he was superb at Blackburn Rovers last season. He was really promising. He he's shown he showed promising signs yesterday, and I think it's really important to point out that this guy had next to no match fitness this season, really, and he's been two Premier in- League starts exactly. And what and an FA Cup appearance as well in that mix. Too. I think he's had. I think he's had ten games in all competitions. Um, most of those have come in the FA Cup and, and Carabao Cup. And I think yeah, just really quickly, Bundesliga has been given a run of games and he's been allowed to shine. Van Heck has not had that opportunity, so it's yeah, it's difficult for him. It is, and like you say, he, he's shown those promising signs, like. He, showing good signs about being a ball playing defender and kind of fitting in the style of play, looking, making those passes that Deserby wants um, the players at the back want uh, to play. But like you say, there were times that he was bullied in the air. He was bullied against some experienced players in the box. He was, Callum Wilson was hungry for the ball. Um, I think it was one time as well. He just struggled to read Isaac as two. For me, when you when you're in that position where you're that young and you're just trying to make yourself, you know, worthy of being in the squad, you just got to be able to say, right, okay, move on now. Just got to just turn a new leaf, learn from it, and then just make sure it just doesn't happen again. Because if you if, if you make the if you make the same mistake twice in the Premier League, you know you you're not going to be forgiven for it. It is such an unforgivable league for so many professional footballers where you do see them get dumped to well teams lower down the pecking order or um that or to a division level even abroad and you, they really don't recover to reach that same height again so it would be it would be a shame because i do think van heck is a quality quality player but like you say like i mean i 
I've defended Undav and I say, give him a run a game, see what happens. And look what's happened. You know, he's actually, he's finding those goals and he's getting a good return there, which is promising to see. So, you know, like, like, like I say with Van Heck, new leaf next season, work again in the summer and then let's see what happens because, you know, like you say, we, there is a good chance, permutations pending, that we could actually get Europe this weekend, which would be bonkers. So, you know, you know, I think many Brighton fans are going to be uh, Liverpool fans <laughs> at the same time. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. But you know, there's still so much to, so much to play for, and so much really that needs to be addressed in the squad. Um, Buonanotte, yeah, I, I I agree. I think he's very. Every time I see him, he doesn't hug that touchline in the same way that Solly March does. And I just get this feeling that he's not a winger. He's very much someone that's an attacking-minded midfielder. He's someone that wants to play central and cause that little bit of chaos, draw players out of position, and then play that ball that creates that chance or you know opens up a goal-scoring opportunity for him. I think that's what he, he is, whereas... March, who we've missed massively, um, is someone that really attacks the wings and tries to run behind the defence and just produce those opportunities down that goal line that has worked wonders for us under De Zerbi. Buenonote hasn't really brought that in. He's offered something different, but I don't even think he knows exactly what to do with it because he's 18. He's he's a, He's raw talent. He's not cooked yet. He's not understanding what's what he needs to do like i said he's i mean if anyone who's 18 years old and is able to do that do that quickly in the premier league of all places you know you're going to go far in life so you know he showed so many promising signs as well i think in his time at the albion and like you say he's been thrown in the deep end because we really needed well we need we needed players because we we haven't got the depth in there so again, I'm not I, I'm not too disheartened with the with the Newcastle match. I think the fourth goal was ridiculous to concede. Personally, that is my only that is my only criticism from the squad, really. Where I just think that that's inexcusable in my book. Whereas all the others is just like you, we've just got to work and improve on it. Deserby even said after the match, you know, we deserve to lose. Fair play to Newcastle, you know, and I, I would say fair play because really. Newcastle fans wanted it the most. St. James's Park is a fortress anyway. So, yeah. it, you know, when the fans are up for it, you know, they let you know and it's next to impossible anyway. I mean, I only I only heard the cheer of the Brighton fans up at the top and I know there wasn't that many, but, you know, for those who went, fair play to you guys on the Thursday 1, night. 1,000 of you. Well done. Yep. So, you know, that that's a lot. To be fair, that's a lot of people going up there committing themselves to a ridiculous commute there and back to watch 90 minutes and we, uh, the scoreline does flatter Newcastle, I do think, as well. I don't think it really showed what we were capable of, but, you know, we just we just seem to concede the moment that third goal went in for Newcastle. So we move, uh, as people say. We move um, and bring on Southampton. Uh, yes, one one little um, footnote uh, to add. Congrats to Cam Perpignan, who made his Premier League debut, the young Australian. Uh, there's a yeah, really nice... He got, um, he got his best. Yes. On debut. He got his um, 
uh, there's a lovely little video floating around on social media of his family cheering um, tens of thousands of miles away, um, cheering on their their son. So yeah, congrats to him. Obviously not the result he would have wanted, but a very proud moment for him. Um, On a slight side note, Tom, uh, ahead of obviously the Southampton game, I saw comments from, um, this is Manchester United, uh, Gary Neville, and he... Uh, in his podcast after the Arsenal game, said something interesting about Southampton's relegation um, and if that was a cautionary tale for Brighton. Um, just a little bit of context. I know this is this, is, <laughs> this might trigger you. I, I forgot just about really that. <laughs> so obviously, uh, I think I'd say casual observers would say that Brighton are now the new Southampton because Southampton were held up as sort of the beacon of sustainable outf- um, of a sustainable outfit, punched above their weight, made some very good signings, qualified for Europe. Um, but it's, you know, uh, and that was only in 2016, I think the last time they were in, um, well, within Europe, so that's only seven or so years ago. Um, but obviously they've been relegated to the championship. And I will read you his comments um, and you can respond. Uh, So he said, Southampton cleared a lot out last summer, tried to reset the club's philosophy, but they had a very good philosophy. That's not to say they uh, they won't come back. Um, And then on a day like this, on Sunday, after obviously Brighton beat us, I don't want to... I don't want to send a little warning sign to Brighton, but Southampton were the beacon that everyone looked at for a number of years when they could recruit, recruit players, sell them, replace them, still finish in decent positions. Brighton will be aware of that, and I don't want to deflate Brighton State, but there is that warning sign that these types of clubs can get themselves into this position. So, Tom, thoughts? Is that lazy. just a lazy, lazy, lazy. thing? Such a lazy, lazy thing to to say because all he's focused on is what we've achieved on the pitch, and he hasn't really looked into the structure of what the Albion have offered. You look at the look, look at the, the owners. Well, they've had a takeover since then, and that's why that's what's what's happened. Tony Bloom's not going to sell this club at all. He's got this place running a tight ship. He's got uh, he's got zero interest in reclaiming the amount of money that he's pummeled in with interest-free loans he's bankrolled the training center he's used data to really formulate the scouting network and i know rafa van der vaart loves people that talks about football data um you know i i just don't see the 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 similarities yes we've had a few good players come through the ranks same as southampton has but our scouting network's superior. Our facilities are superior. We've got a manager. We've got, sorry, we've got an owner who is thinking of every single variable and possible outcome going. And he's got plans A, B, C, D, E, F, G lined up already. So we know exactly what's going to happen next. Let's not forget Southampton were really bankrolling on Pochettino being there for the best part of, what, six, seven years? didn't happen did it i will they, say coman was the one who got them into i think europe twice yeah yeah ronald Koeman was yeah was the main guy but poch was the one that they really hoped for obviously they did have a, a solid plan b in Koeman, who done wonders for them then he packed up to everton and then they were kind of like well now what 
But yet we, we've seen the development that we've had with Graham Potter leaving, you know, how how quick and how easier fitting Deserby was. And Barber said, you know, we've got this facility in place for when these situations happen. And you, you, you don't seem to be like, oh, yeah, this is all board talk. No, you actually get a sense of, no, they actually have like a file there for when Deserby probably leaves whenever and then who, who we need to go for next. So I'm not worried about us being the next Southampton in five, six years' time when we go down. We might go down. You know what? And that do you know what? That's absolutely fine because you know the law of averages does dictate that three teams go down every season. You know, we might find ourselves in a bit of a sticky situation whereby we we lose we have a mass exodus maybe of players and you know injuries don't go our way, results don't go our way. Who knows? We could be like in the situation that West Ham are in. European final and relegation dogfight. Fantastic. I'm all for it because that way is a little bit more exciting than mid-table mediocrity. I'm happy with that. But there, there, there's so many, you know, variables to say why Gary Neville was wrong. And it's just, it, it, even for him, who has spoken a lot in depth about the infrastructure that the Albion has in place, and yet he seems to completely disregard that by saying, you know that you know what's happened in Southampton should be a warning to Tony Bloom and the Albion. It's just lazy, lazy. Yeah, I think also with with Southampton, I I think and I think yeah, the the, the point you raised there uh, of the many were good, but Tony Bloom for me that's the key. He is the constant. That is, he is the Godfather. You know, he's the one who is yeah. who's running the show beautifully. And I think the problem with Southampton and. I mean, if we get any Saints listeners, they might come in and and say, oh, you got that wrong. But I believe in 2017, so not too long after they got into Europe, um, I think they were in Europe the 2016-2017 season. They were taken over by the Chinese businessman um, Gao or or Zhao or something like that. Apologies if I'm getting that wrong, pronunciation-wise. But he took over the club, and I think then things really got stale and and that sort of led to a decline. So, So that was... That was a big part of it. Not to, so. The similarity ends there. You've got a guy who's looking to make maybe some money from the club rather than put in the interest of the club first. Whereas Tony Bloom is unbelievably selfless in in that regard because he's pumped in hundreds of millions, and like you say, he's just gonna go. Yep, yeah, that I'll never see that money again. But I love this club so. Yeah, for me, the main one is Tony Bloom. And then I, I do think that probably Brighton have just taken the sort of, you know, analytical, clever approach to the next level. Um, hopefully, I, I do think that just for example, like you say, the, the Europe thing, that could be, a you know, an issue if they get there, just in terms of the squad depth. Um, potentially, you know, if if you just keep on selling your best players, the bar has to get higher in terms of how you can respond. So that's another challenge in itself. But I just do feel that, yeah, it's it's just like, it's, there's, there's just, you can poke too many holes in, in that, you know, there's the perforated sheet. You can just, there's just too many holes that appear. But yes, let's, uh, let's move on. So Tom, finally, let's, um, let's wrap up. So how do you see uh, the game going against an already relegated bright uh, Brighton? <laughs> sorry, horrible. So this dog Gary Devil's rubbing off of me. Um, how do you see uh, the game against already relegated 
Southampton going at the Amex on Sunday. Look, um, I, I, I kind of touched this earlier in the episode anyway, but we've got, this is a game that we really just make, have to make sure that Southampton have absolutely zero momentum going into this. They have absolutely nothing to play for now. And it's just now just a case of, okay, we've got nothing to lose now. So they're, they're in a all might like they're already, they've already won the mental battle because well we know what's going to happen next to us we're going to get the massive pay cut we'll get, probably get, get on the transfer list or we'll get released but you know we're here to impress our future employer or kind of stake a case of saying no I want to stay in this club or I want to stay in the team this is my worth to you to the gaffer so we really need to go ahead on this and I really want to thank the guy on North Stand chat who said that um, in the last 10 years that Brighton and Southampton have met, the home team has never won. The last team, the last time a home team won in this fixture was back in January 2012 Crikey. when they, when we won 3-0. <laughs> so, you know, that we- there's... <laughs> would you would you it's 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 due to break records like that are made to made to break for whatever reason but you know that that stat is staggering i think it was something like 10 10 11 meetings in that time and you know we a lot of draws lot lot of draws a lot of defeats well a lot of away wins that we need we need this win um i think if we could get this win like you say like and pray that Liverpool get their win. You know, we're we're quids in. We're we're, we're going to be getting ready to pack our suitcases and look forward to a European tour, regardless of what competition that is. So we've what we we reached the goal. We need this win, and I think that's something the Zerbi's going to need to know. I think that's something the message has to be sent loud and clear to the fans because we what we want this we want europe and i think that's something that we really need to push on for and you know someone if deserve or someone like that can just really say no we we're going to do this this means more we need the fans behind us and can get the atmosphere going you know we could really we could really be talking about a much happier podcast episode on monday morning richie which would be marvelous yes i so yeah so what's your um Actually, I'll give my quick thoughts. But yeah, just just on, on that note, I, I think Deserby talked about the fact that he had to rotate against Newcastle because Welbeck, Bonanotte, Gilmar are the same as McCaster. They can't play 90 minutes today and 90 minutes on Sunday. Um, but he did say, I think on Sunday, we will be with energy and in the best condition. Um, this is a game that uh, Brighton have to win for me. This is... this. this this is just the perfect time, the perfect opposition for me to bounce back. Um, I know you talked about sort of uh, players, you know, wanting to state their claim. But for me, like, I think there'll be a mass exodus at, at Southampton. I think so many of those players will want to play in either Premier League or Top League elsewhere. I don't think many of them will want to do a dogfight in the Championship. Maybe. I, I... <laughs> I want James Ward-Prowse. Get him Fair. in that midfield. He might have to take a bit of a pay cut because uh, I think he's on hefty wages. But um, I, yeah, I, I feel in terms of the p- players who might have a point to prove will probably be the younger players, the players who have been on the fringes this year, maybe the under 21s. Because I think Southampton's B team just got promoted back to Premier League two. 
Um, so I think this is a game that those players might be hungry. I mean, they might be playing for a bit of pride, but I, I, I just feel that if, if Brighton can show the energy that they showed at Arsenal or Manchester United or Wolves, I think they will walk this. I think this will be a very comfortable win. Um, just, I think the, the, you know, they need to start well and then hopefully that confidence will flood through. Um, I think they'll he'll probably go for a pretty strong side. Uh, I think, you know, Ferguson will be back. Um, McAllister will be back. And CISO will be back. Colwell will be back. Um, and yes, I, I think this will be a comfortable one. So um, I'm going for a 3-1 win. Ooh, gone for a four-goal thriller. I think it's going to be a bit more conservative than that. I'm going to go with a 2-0 win. Sounds good. Well, I think, yes, should we wrap up there? There's no, no other pressing concerns you want to cash? No, no, no. I, I think we'll be waffling on in that case. But look, guys, thank you so much uh, for listening to this as ever. Um, be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube or uh, be sure to follow and give us a great review on the podcast platforms wherever you're listening to. Uh, enjoy the weekends. And as always, guys, up the Albion and here's two, three points at the weekends. Come on, the Albion. We move! <laughs>